1: Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Pain Show. I am super excited about the guest that I have in studio today because not only does he have this really inspiring story and his book is... Like a novel, reading it it just sucks you and you just can't stop reading because it is so well written and it's such an inspiring story. But he's also a foster dad and has such a passion for foster care, and so I just appreciate that. And so, Peter, I'm going to let you just start off by introducing yourself to my audience.
2: Well, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me here. Well, my name is Peter Mutabazi, and I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I have uh, five year. Uh, kids right now, adapted one and fostering the four. And it's really a joy to join you here today.
1: And so, your book it starts out telling your story of you being a little boy and walking through a lot of very traumatic circumstances. You want to just give us a little snippet, kind of tease with this story because people need to read the whole book. But I'd love for you to share a little bit of that, of your background as a little boy.
2: Well, yes. As a little boy, well, life was miserable in every shape, form you could imagine. You know, you know, I didn't have a name until when I was two years old. Mm-hmm. Why? Because for every hundred children were born, sixty would die before the age of two. So my mother, you know, you know, she held on giving me a name until she knew that I would make it. And it's not like she didn't love me, but she didn't want to kind of count on your eggs that before they hatch in mm-hmm. somewhere that she was waiting for me to make it. And that's my background. Life was miserable in every shape form you could imagine. Poverty is all I knew. No one ever told me to dream or to tell me like, hey, there's a future for you tomorrow. You know, think about if a mom can't feed you for a day, how does she tell you that there's tomorrow for you? So that was really my life. And and then at age of four, I began to realize that not only were we poor, but my dad was the most abusive dad. Mm -hmm. So I had poverty outside. And then I had abuse inside my home, so for me, I really never wanted to see tomorrow because today was hard enough that i didn't really want to see the next day until the age of two uh, age, sorry at the age of ten that's when I thought you know I'd rather die in the hands of a stranger than my own father, so that's where the book really begins on mm. how I made that decision uh, to run away
1: mm. and do you look back and you know you you ran away, you made this really life-altering decision to leave your family in kind of the dark um, and take a bus to, you know, as far away as you could go. And do you look back on that? And do you think that was a good decision? You know, how do you process that life-altering decision that you made as a young boy?
2: Well, I think for me, I was looking to end my life. I think that's why I ran. I wasn't I wasn't looking for a better life. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for that there was a future for me. To me, it was more of rather than die in the hands of my father, that I wanted someone else to do it. You know, so in some way, I was looking for. I, I can't. I can't live my life anymore, and so I'm gonna. I'm gonna end it in some way through someone else's eyes or through someone's hands. So looking back you know, as a ten year old, I think I'm like, what? What was I thinking? You mm-hmm. know, but but I think you know. Uh, They say God uses, you know, things that we never imagined that in some way he used that escape Mm -hmm. to truly uh, in some way rescue me Mm -hmm. in in a way. So uh, I I don't regret, you know, Mm -hmm. I would never want any child to go through that. But I think in my own story, uh, it was the best I could do. Mm -hmm.
1: And so when did you get to the place of being able to think of a future? If you were just living so much in the day to day and just trying to survive how did you get out of that survival mode like what process did you go through to get to a place where you could
2: look to a future well that did not happen until one day you know uh, as street kids we survived on, on an hourly basis you know think about that we ate things in the garbage so most kids died because we ate acidic or poisonous or things that were not good for our body so it was easy to lose your life You know, but also we slept under, you know, the buses and cars and sometimes they would drive without checking and and some of my friends would lose their lives. So for me as a street kid, there was no glimpse of hope, period. You Mm. know, I was seen more like a stray animal to them. I was garbage. And I believed it because I smelled like one, I looked like Mm. one, and that became, you know, really my life. So until, you know, four years uh, and a half on the streets of Kampala that I wanted to steal, we would steal in the process of helping that I saw this man. I was like, I want, I want to get some food. And so uh, in the process, he he asked me, what's your name? For four and a half years, no one had ever asked me Mm my name. And so he said, what's your name? And before I could take it, he gave me something to eat and he left. So I saw him the next week, the next week, the fourth week, I kind of knew, Every time he comes, where he packs his car, what he buys, and what day he comes. So in some way, I think that's where maybe a little glimpse began to come in. On Monday, between 6 and 8, I don't have to steal. I don't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. But also, it's the only time that someone is going to call me what my mother named me. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's where a little glimpse of hope, because I was waiting for that meal. I knew he would come, and he was always kind to me. And that's what really began the relationship that he fed me for one year and a half. And one day he said, hey, Peter, if you have an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school? And I was like, me? I mean, I'm a street kid. You know me. I'm dirty. I've never owned a shoe. I am just a thief. How? How would you think? Why would you think I would be able to go to school? But he said, I believe in you. And he kept pursuing me. And finally he Uh, I was able to go to school because he encouraged me that when I go to school, there's going to be lunch, dinner, and breakfast. That's all I had. (laughs) Food? Sure, I'll go. So for me, I went for a meal. And once I went there and I found the meal, I think that's when I began to dream about tomorrow, Mm. tomorrow's meal. Not tomorrow that I want it to be anything, but tomorrow there's going to be a meal. I don't have to sleep under the sewer, but I have a bed and have a roof over my head. That's when it all began. Mm.
1: And so you start in at this school and then how long were you at that
2: school for? I was there for about four years, Mm. uh, you know, before they they let me also be part of his family. And, you know, and I began to do well in school because they began to use words of affirmation. You know, Mm. I think for us who have had really bad childhood trauma, when we hear things, they don't make sense. Peter, Mm. you're special. Wait a minute. Am I? Now, everyone tells me that I'll never mount to anything. Everyone tells me, you know, this is what I had from my dad. I you know, I wish you were never born so I did not have to feed you. So you, you, you hear those to believe that you have a future or to believe that someone would see the best in you. What's foreign to me, you mm. know? But as they use more words of affirmation, it really helped me, mm. you know? Because they will say, Peter, you belong. Really? I belong? Are you sure I belong? Or they will say, Peter, you're chosen or you're gifted. Like, Those words that I never had before, they really began to help me peel off the trauma, the wounds, also the things I believed in myself that that were not true. Uh, It's really how it all began to make me feel. That meant I would do it in school. That well, if you say special, I'm going to get a C. If you say I belong, I'm going to get an A. Mm. And as more I had of these, they really helped me dream bigger.
1: And so the title of your book, Now I Am Known, I love how that, you know, it's, it's about someone knew you. It started with, you know, you knowing someone, someone knowing you by name, but how a street kid turned foster dad found acceptance and true worth. And I love this one. Well, I don't love this section, but I think it's so powerful. You talk about every day of my life, I heard some combination of these words, all of them punctuated with the F word, and it was just words like you talked about of, you know, you're garbage, you're not worth anything, I wish you'd never been born. By the time I was four, I saw myself through the eyes of my father. I believed I was useless, I believed I was garbage, I believed I had no reason for being alive. Many children dream about what they were going to be when they grow up, but not in my family. When I was 10 years old, I'd given up on life. And you've kind of shared, you know, how you walked through that but I just think it's so powerful that one person asks you your name, and then that one person started really pouring into you and, and showing you that you have worth and that you have value. And I noticed this part, you know, by the time I was four, I saw myself through the eyes of my father. And I was thinking, but how it changed your life when you started seeing yourself through the eyes of your heavenly father. Right. And what that was and how— you know, that changes everything. What our earthly father thinks of us impacts us so deeply, but it's truly what our heavenly father thinks of us that matters. And so talk to that parent right now who is walking with a child who, whether they are a foster child or a child that they adopted, who's come from a very traumatic background or a child who's just struggling with feeling accepted. Cause I think there's a lot of children Now in teens, now in this age of social media, where there's a lot of stuff being thrown at people that makes them feel like they're not enough. What can that parent do and say to help that child find their worth and their value in in the Lord?
2: Right. Absolutely. You know, I think for me, what he did, he didn't say he acted everything, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, I understood love because he he loved me. He didn't tell me he just showed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, He showed me I belonged. You know, I lived in on the streets of Kampala. But once he got to know me, he invited me to his home. And that became my home as well. Mm. You know, I wasn't sleeping in the boys' quarters. I was sleeping in in, in the same room as his his biological kids. And that really helped me to shift on what I had people tell me to what this family was all about. So it was more what they did, what they showed me Mm. than what they said. So we can, you know, I think it's a combination of all, you know, whatever we say to them, we should act it as well. If we're coming from a place of yelling, you know, you're yelling at me. You're you, you really in some way taking me back. But if you mm. the soft tone and say, Peter, I know it's difficult, but how can I help you? I think mentally in our head, we get to really see, okay, this person really cares, but he wants to listen to me, he wants to hear about me. So it's all aspects uh, of our life. They always wanted to know where I come from. So I wasn't used to sleeping on the mattress all my life. I slept on the floor. So once I got to school and to their home, they gave me a mattress, but I said, I don't feel comfortable, you know, so I slept on the floor, but they did not, they didn't, they didn't push me to sleep on a better bed, you know, they said with time he will get to where he feels comfortable. So in in some way, I felt like they were listening to me, you know, Mm. they knew I was uncomfortable. They knew I didn't feel comfortable, even sitting on the dining table, but every time I Got my food and I sat outside. They they didn't they didn't see it as weird. They didn't see it as bad. But they knew I had come from a different place that I did not not like. I did not understand. But I didn't feel safe sitting at the table mm. uh, with anyone. Uh, so in some ways, parents, yes, we get to act it. We get to say it. But also we get to listen. You know, our kids come from different places, and sometimes they do things that seem weird or awkward or that we're not used to. So rather than approach it and say that's wrong, no but rather uh, let 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 them at their own time, in their own way, explain to us why they do what they do. And I think in that way, they get to see they get to hear it, they get to see it, and they get to see us actually act, Mm -hmm. kindness towards them. And that's what changed for my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't just saying, it's doing, it's showing, and it was also walking before me Mm -hmm. uh, to show me what I needed to do.
1: So I'd love for you to take us you know, you're in, in school and you're experiencing value and worth for the first time. You know that you're going to have roof over your head, a meal the next day, um, and this family who is loving you and really seeing you for who you are. How did you get from there to where you are today? I know that's a huge question, but... <laughs>
2: Right, absolutely. So, you know, the more the words and the more the kindness they showed me, and that really began to help me think about myself, value myself, mm-hmm. and see that there was a future for me. So school wasn't just a school for me to go and find shelter and food, but I was like, wait a minute, if they think I'm special, maybe there's something special about being in school. Mm-hmm. So then I worked hard in school. Not only did I get a F or C or D, but I achieved all I could through the teachers seeing the best in me. Every time I got an F, they would say, you do well. Every time I got a D, they say, Peter, you're smart. And I would say, really? I will get it. And somehow I managed to finish high school. So I went to university in Uganda and then I got a scholarship to go study in England. And that's how i came to the united states because i got a scholarship to come and study here you know uh, amazing how the kindness of one human being can truly change the you know the, the life of not just me but my entire family i'm the oldest of five but all of them have gone through university Not because they could do it, but I think I became an example for them. If Mm. Peter can do it, we can do it as well. But Also, I knew I could not take them out of my family, but I knew I can give them education so Mm. that became my goal. I want them to be educated because I knew that was something that nobody can take away from them. So through the the kindness of one human being, it really changed my entire family. And also they became believers.
1: Mm, That's amazing. So now you kind of have taken this, you know, all of that that you went through and you are now a foster dad yourself. Talk to me. I would love to know, you know, how did you get started? What sparked the idea of you saying, you know, I'm going to start fostering?
2: Well, when I came to the United States, I really struggled seeing how much food was thrown away Mm -hmm. because I had come from a world where. People were dying for lack of beans. So when I came here, I, I saw how much food was thrown away, and I thought to myself, does God love us the same way? Like, how can others have so much, but others have so little? You know, so my faith was shaken in some way mm-hmm. because I was seeing faith or love in, in terms of how much. But I think as I was reading the Bible, I realized Psalm 139, you know, as David really is saying, God, I, I am... I am so wonderfully made, like i it, it bothers my head that you know when I sit down when I wake up, like you know the implicit of my life that I think really that helped me to see like kids in Africa they walk, they jump like God knows every intricate about them, you know, and verse fourteen it says for you 're fearfully and wonderfully made, and I think that helped me to see God in the eyes of who He made me rather than things I have, you know. Mm-hmm. So then one day I was in Kenya with a, you know, um, a pastor, and he, he was really excited about his kid. So I was like, oh, wow, you, you, you're super excited. He showed me the picture. I was like, wait a minute, you're white? This kid is black. How does that work? And he explained to me about false care. And right then, then I really, really began to think of Luke 12, 48. How much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. That I had been given so, so much that it was my time to truly use what I had been given to save others, but also to use it to pay forward as well for what he done for me. So I came back, but I knew they would not allow me to foster. Here's why I had traveled over the world. I've been in Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia and China. Everyone I saw who was adapting was white and married. Mm. I'm single, you know, so I asked someone in Ethiopia, I say, is there a way I could adapt as well? They said, no. You have to be an American or European, or mm-hmm. you have to be married, or you have to be a single but a female. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I knew they would not allow me, but I didn't give up. When I came back to the United States, I was, you know, I went to the foster care. I said, I know we have teenagers, so if you could allow me to mentor them once a week, maybe that would also help me really impact them in some way. And the social worker said, have you ever thought of being a foster dad? I was like, I don't think i qualify." She's like, why? I'm seeing what she said. What? No, you can be. And I was like, okay, where do I sign up? I'm literally it was on Monday. I started that math class on Thursday wow. because I wanted to truly not just go help the kids out there because I worked for Compassion International mm-hmm. and World Vision, that I wanted to truly live that life every day. That they mm-hmm. took me in and I wanted to take in a child that needed to be allowed to seen and heard as well and that began you know began my journey so since then I've had yeah, 27 adopted one in the process of adopting three and it's truly been a roller coaster and the best decision the best family I could ever ask for
1: and how many years have you been fostering for
2: 5 years
1: 5 years 27 children in 5 years that's right. what is the most um children that you've had in your home at one time six okay that's a lot for one, one person. I have um, friends who are single and fostering, and I just always think it's a lot of work to do by yourself. So for you to be giving of your life and making such a difference, thank you for doing that.
2: Yeah, I would like to take more if I had a bigger house, <laughs> and I'd get a bus to, to not to drive <laughs> them to school. Like I think my whole goal is how many can I can I help. Mm, mm.
1: So I know that we have, since I share about fostering often, we have a lot of people who listen to the podcast who are very interested in fostering, but they have a lot of concerns. There, there's fear. There's, you know, is my house big enough? Can, can I really do this? Um, You said that you've had 20, did you tell me beforehand you've had 20 children go back and reunify? Correct. And I think that's one thing that really scares people. It's just, you know, loving this child as your own and then sending them back to their family. And so talk to the people who are, are scared, but feel that tug on their heart that they want to do something
2: well you know i think being scared is a natural thing to be you know and i think for me too i was scared before mm-hmm. i joined i was like how am i gonna do it by myself but there's one thing i knew i knew i had a room and i knew i had a heart to truly be there for them mm-hmm. so i didn't want the fears the the stuff the people the things i get to hear in some way distract that passion and that goal that in some way god had put on my heart that i wanted to do you know But two, I understood foster care. Like I Mm -hmm. had to learn what foster care is. I understood it is being there for children while the parents cannot and letting them while they take care of themselves, that they can come back and have their kids back. So I understood that way. And I knew that my job is to be there for them while mom and dad are doing the best to have them back. But Also, I understood that that biological connection that is important for any child, that yes, I was trained, I was given all the opportunities to be a dad, but I know there are families that don't have those opportunities. And if I can come alongside and help them and have their kids back, it is the greatest joy, but also on how we can lessen the number of kids in the fourth care. I learned it with my first child. When he came in, you know, two weeks later, he was not feeling well. So it was three in the morning and I didn't know what to do. I could not call the social worker because I knew they would not pick up. So I thought, I'm going to call the mom. You know, she's not going to like it, but I'm going to call. And so I called and said, what should I do? She gave me the instruction what to do Mm -hmm. because she knows her baby so well. Mm -hmm. And the following day, she called me. She said, Peter, thank you for letting me be a mom for two minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think that really touched my heart that, uh, it clicked all of a sudden, like, oh, she's not my enemy. You know, she's my ally. Mm. You know, and if I, as a single parent, if I can have a mom on the other side that can help me take care of their babies as they really struggle through whatever they went through, that we are two parents fighting for the same cause for that little baby. You know, and I think for me that worked so well, understanding that man, this mom, you know, she she got in trouble for sure, but she loves her kids so so mm. much. But I'm the only resource she has, and if I can do everything possible to do to make sure that she gets her baby back, it is the greatest gift for the baby first mm. and for the mom as well. You know, that I've learned is yes, we've you know, and fear is good as well. I mean, people who say, you know, I'm afraid of being attached, trust me, I think. You could never be a parent if you're not attached. I think we won't take you as a false parent <laughs> if you're not attached. Like, it is the goal. When you're attached, that means you can care. That When you're attached, that means you can fight for them. When you're attached, that means you do the best you can for this little one. And it's a natural way to be attached to these kids. But at the same time, to know that they have their parents, that we can do the best we can to transition back to mom and dad or mom or dad. Uh, but attachment is a natural way. I'm not a robot, you know, that's <laughs> me. It is difficult to, too. But at the end of the day, to know that is the best for the child, but also for that mom to have their kids back mm-hmm. and, and to see the journey they have to go through. I mean, it, it's crazy for, for the requirements they require them to have to, mm-hmm. in order to get their kids back. To so see someone go through that and do it, I mean, I would do that every day for them. Mm-hmm. Every, day,
1: every day. I love how you said she's. Not my enemy. She's my ally. Oh, yes. And I think that that changes the way that we view foster care. When we go into it thinking, you know, it is our our joy to be able to come alongside these parents and walk with them and do everything that we can to advocate for them and to be there for them and to see them as a resource to us. And just that we get to walk alongside instead of it. I think it can be easy for us to look down on, but to treat them as equals and that we're in this together. Great. I want to change course a little bit as we close, because I know that you have been through a lot of trauma and you have seen a lot of trauma in your life. And I think it would be easy for you to lose faith in God, to see all these hard things, all this brokenness. How do you reconcile the brokenness in the world? the brokenness that you've experienced in your life with a good heavenly father?
2: Well, yeah, that's a tough question, you know, but I think this stranger really demonstrated that for me, you know? Yes, I did have a good dad, but he taught me what a good dad should be. He showed Mm -hmm. me, he walked it that for me. The other part is that I I cannot carry the sins of my father, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, uh, as I'm learning as a foster parent, like some parents have gone through a difficult time that they don't even know how to be parents, mm-hmm. And the same way I have to look at my dad as well, that I have to forgive him, but I cannot carry his behaviors or his sin. That my job is to truly trust the Lord who created me and, 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 and see the values of those who've seen the best in me and take that, you know. Uh, it's not easy work. Yes, I have to heal every day. Yes, trauma doesn't go overnight. You know, mm-hmm. that there's some things I still have to deal with to always remember that God is faithful, that he, if he can rescue me from the streets of Kampala, he's going to rescue me from the issues that I have to deal with every day. So I think for me, that man walked it every day, and it really was easy for me to really understand God as my father. You know, uh, Forgiveness is one thing I struggled. I really struggled, mm-hmm. forgiveness. But until this man forgave me, until every time I messed up, they're like, Peter, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I think it was easy for me to look at my dad and say, he needs forgiveness for myself. Not I wasn't looking for forgiveness from him, but for my own self. Mm-hmm. Also, that I really did not want the past in some way to dictate my future, that I knew God had really helped me overcome. And, and the life of Joseph is what they helped me. You know, remember when his brothers found him? And my first parents would always say, what did he say? What did Joseph say? Was, they would say, well, you know, he said, for what you meant for evil, God used it for good to save lives. And I think that really has helped me. Yes, we can have difficult childhood. Yes, we can have difficult marriages. Yes, we can have difficult bosses at the same time. But I think if we can use that as a foundation to do good, God will honor that. Mm-hmm. And that's really my goal as well. You know, as has Joseph, you know, really taught me that the past is bad. But through it, I can truly trust on him, but also use it to do good for others and for myself.
1: Well, thank you so much, Peter, for being here. Um, I just cannot recommend your book strongly enough. I think that everyone, no matter whether you have any interest in foster care, whether you you know resonate with his story at all, or you're just looking for a really good book to read that is just a really interesting read that I think will also inspire you how, as one person, you can make a huge difference in someone else's life and have that ripple effect, like you said, for the entire family for the rest of their lives. So his book is called Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. And we'll link that in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com.